Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. I have been recorded on March the 15th, 2023. I'm Russell Young and I'm joined by Kale, Cynthia, Evan, and our special guests today are Andreas Padilla and Mir Alam. Um, before we kick off with our special guests, we're going to just go through some of the updates that have happened in Azure over the last couple of weeks. There's quite an awful lot of stuff out there. Um, Evan, do you want to kick off? I see you've got sure. a few in the Yeah, show, I, can, so. I can go through mine um, fairly quickly. Um, one of them, so, it, you know, if you use storage accounts, you know that um, there's the construct of, you know, non-zonal redundancy, so local, locally, local resiliency, and then I think it's geo resiliency. I always forget what the G stands for for GRS. But now you can move to, you can add in zonal and you can do it right through the portal, right? So super convenient. So you don't, it used to be a lot more complicated. You had to migrate your data and all that kind of stuff just made it much, much easier. Um, the also um, sort of talking about the migration piece and I, I'm a huge fan of the Azure database migration service because right? migrating data has always been painful. This service is um, really, really handy if you haven't checked it out. Um, but we've now added the ability to migrate all the logins and everything else that come with it, right? It used to be that we just moved the data and then you'd have to recreate, you know, all your permissions and your users and um, your TDE and whatnot. And it just, now it's it's all built into the service. Um, and the last one, and, and this one, I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I understood it, but I think it's it's sort of a remarkable shift in the, sort of, you know, the way the cost model works. Um, but so traditionally when you do um, most transactions in Azure or most consumption in Azure, right, there's, you have some base number that's free. And then above that you pay, you know, I don't know, some fraction of a penny per transaction. Um, what we've done with S standard SSD now is there's a cap. And then anything past that um, is, is essentially free transactions right so you sort of now it, it really helps with the planning because you can say hey if i don't use up to my you know if i'm not using enough to use up to my limit i i can pay just based on what i use but if i'm a heavy user now i can predict and say hey i'm never going to exceed this number so we'll include the link right because it the, the math is not super complicated but again i had to read it once or twice to make sure i got it right in my head um, but it's definitely a step i think in the direction of, of allowing people to you know, plan and understand what their costs are rather than, than you know, sort of shifting around month to month. Cool. Thank you. Um, I, I've got a few here. I don't know, Kale and Cynthia, if you've got some as well, if you want to, if you want to come in. I'll, I'll kick off with the with the first one. So chat GPT, obviously taken the world by storm at the moment. Loads and loads of hype, loads of stuff in the news about chat GPT everywhere. Um, uh, we've got our own Azure OpenAI service, which which uses the OpenAI uh, machine learning models on the back end. Uh, they're not just machine learning, but they're, they're deep learning, and then you've got other bits on top. Um, but the the thing that kind of makes ChatGPT stand out from the others is, is that conversational AI and the generative natural language that it uses and that model behind it. 
Um, and that's just now been added to part of the suite for Azure OpenAI. So Azure OpenAI, for those of you that haven't come across it yet, is the ability to use these massive um, machine learning models uh, within your own subscription, consuming your own data and adding your own flavor of topics and, and stuff to it. Uh, it also supports the image stuff that we've got with Dali. Um, uh, so yeah, it's just it's just that way of being able to use your own data and use that power of this next generation of AI that's that's kind of uh, taking the world by storm. So you can now start to apply. You know, if you think about the logical extension of where this is going with ChatGPT and conversational engines, things like chatbots, which up until present have been fairly dumb, and and it's always been coded around expected scenarios that you're you're you've programmed it to understand and kind of guide people down. If you start using this new way of working, chatbots chat themselves just become 100% more engaging um, because they can search so much more data and, and really hone in on the information that you're looking for. Um, so we're starting to see all this technology now kind of creep across lots of Microsoft products as well. If you look at Teams Premium now, it's got things like conversation recap in it, um, splitting conversations up into chapters, automatically taking notes for you that, that make real sense capturing actions in meetings, all that kind of stuff really well. Um, and Bing Chat as well. So if you've not tried that as well, really highly urge you to sign up for the preview of that um, and get on that that um, that program and, and start using Bing Chat instead of uh, just normal, normal web searches. You'll find it gets you to the information that you need uh, a lot quicker. So that, that's kind of the big one. Uh, there's a lot of other things happening around AI. Uh, one of them is the cognitive services. Um, we've had a we've had a service around vision for for quite some time, um, being able to understand what what's in a picture so it can capture it and descri describe it and, and then customize it and so on and so forth. Um, that's always taken quite a large amount of data to train properly to give you really accurate results. You know, we're talking like tens of thousands of images um, that all have to be tagged and uh, and uh, and and told what they are before you can then start applying the the machine learning against new images that come in. That process has all been improved quite dramatically um, so that now you can get a much higher quality level with much smaller data sets. So it's got improved learning, improved captioning, improved customization. Uh, so that's another good one to go and go and check out. Um, the only other one I wanted to talk, well, there, actually there's two. So um, one was around a thing called Prometheus. Uh, so Prometheus uh, kind of works well with Azure Monitor um, and it allows you, there's, there's a thing called PromQL, which allows you to query Azure Monitor type data to get some results from it. It's, it's like a nice query language built in there. You can now use PromQL to define alerts that will then show up in the Azure portal. So it works together with Azure Monitor um, to help you build uh, things like dashboards or rules and alerts that can be enforced uh, through Azure Monitor. And the last one is around App Insights, which has been around for for a long, long time. Um, but if you're still running workloads in uh, IIS and they're .NET workloads and they're running in VMs or VM scale sets, you can now go into the portal and switch on an App Insights extension for those VMs, which will then automatically go and install an agent into that VM and inject it through PowerShell, um, which will then start instrumenting and documenting that workload that you've got, giving you real Good dependency information, performance information, exception uh, data, and all that all that good stuff tracked back through your through your app insights. This Russell, this sounded like when I saw this, this sounds like a lot of um, very similar to what we do with 
like app services where you can just check a box and app insights is in there and you start getting data. It's just now we've extended this to, you know, sort of the random, you know, IIS workload on or ASP.NET or .NET Core workload that's running on a VM. Is that is that the right way to think about it? I think so. I think I think instead of you having to open up that app and go and rebuild it with the right instrumentation in it to, to call right. the SDK, it's going to inject it for you and uh, and do it. But being able to do it directly from the portal as well, just by ticking something on, um, just simplifies that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Kale, I see you've uh, you've been working in real time. Yeah, no worries. Uh, just one thing I wanted to comment on the AI stuff is. Uh, Next week is uh, the NVIDIA's GTC conference that's in, um, you know, towards Silicon Valley. <clears throat> I don't know if that's an in-person event now, but there's definitely online. Um, so anybody who wants to attend that, uh, you can do it online. You don't have to go anywhere. That's March 20th and tw- through the 23rd. There's always good stuff there for new AI technology. Microsoft will have a big presence there around Azure AI and all the different services we have to help in that space, and as well as our partnerships with NVIDIA and stuff. So, uh, just a, a call out there for folks because you know we're close to that time. So, if you want to attend that event, we have a blog post. We'll we'll drop it in the notes. And then well, I have one more around Azure Data Manager for agriculture. I remember a while ago we had the people on the show about farm beats where they're really collecting a lot of data around soil around like satellite images on how we can actually utilize these information to make the agricultural process more efficient and especially uh going towards the goal of sustainability which has been a big focus for microsoft so now it's available as a service as part of the microsoft intelligent data platform which there's a lot of different industry specific data connectors and capabilities. And if you're into any sort of agriculture business, definitely try it out. Cool. Well, that's enough time talking between ourselves. Let's hand over. And uh, Mia, if I can ask you to introduce yourself. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mira Lom. I'm one of the principal customer engineer uh, in our first check for Azure team focusing on data and AI areas, helping our customers onboarding their AI-focused solutions in Azure. Uh, it's been a while that I mean, it's, I'm working with the customers, both uh, within the first track as part of the CXPR, as well as outside of first track. Uh, I've been working with Evan for a long time. Uh, we go for, for long days, but that's me uh, helping the customers every day. Um, bringing their solutions, AI-focused solutions to Azure. You talked about OpenAI. This is a great focus for us right now. It's just helping them basically realizing the values of OpenAI, for example. But uh, that's where I, 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 I play with, and uh, I'm an AI category lead for our first tech team. I work with Andres, partnering with different scenarios. This is one of the scenarios that we'll be talking about. I'll, I'll let Andres um, give the introduction on it, and they'll talk about it. That's me. Thank you. And Andres? Yeah, hey, Russell, good to, good to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, my name is Andreas Padilla. I'm also a principal uh, engineer on the Fast Track Data team. Though my wheelhouse and where I live is I live in AI, Edge, IoT, um, some analytics, but you know, that's where you know that's where my bread and butter is. And uh, we've been working with Mir for some time. We're uh, you know in quotes, we're as thick as thieves. So working on these engagements, and uh, you know, we're, we're really glad that our uh, what we're wanted, what we're going to talk about right now, our drone 
Edge AI initiative, you know, fits in nicely with the topic today. But great to be here, Russell. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. And, and yeah, it feels like AI has been a topic that we've been talking about for a long, long time. Absolutely. And it's been promising yeah. a lot. And yes, it has been delivering a lot. But last few months with the advent of open AI, everything just seems to have exploded. And, exactly. Yeah. And people are now really are fearful for the future in terms of, you know, <laughs> when are the robots going to take over? Because some of the responses you get from some of these uh, chat GPT and stuff is incredible. So, um, yeah, lovely, uh, lovely to have you on the show and, and really looking forward to hearing what you've got to tell us about drones and so on. If it makes if it makes sixty minutes, right? You know, it's it's a thing now, right? It, it, so, well, yeah, you, you know, you guys are in the in the in the spotlight now because uh, you're the brains behind it, all this all this stuff. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, uh, yeah, give us some insight. Um, I'll I'll take the first you know minute or two, Amir, um, to introduce it. So, you know, a little backstory to context about it. a year ago. We uh, we came upon a company called Drone Express, and they came to us and they said, "Hey, can you help us?" develop a model that can do uh, help us land the drones and do deliveries. They're actually one of the few companies that are on the verge of getting FAA approved for uh, without line of sight deliveries with drones. So we said, definitely, let's you know jump into this. And we, we went hand in hand with them for about a year, helping them get into Azure, you know, what it is to deploy, you know, uh, leverage IoT Hub, uh, device provisioning service, and then ML Studio to train their model, do instant segmentation, uh, retrain it, and that whole pipeline of how do all our services interplay nicely together with it. And obviously within there, there's you know the, uh, the, the know-how and the best, best practices and guidance of trying to transmit the Drone Express performance model, you know, model packaging, um, you know, how do, how do we land it on an NVIDIA device? Could we leverage DeepStream, the DeepStream pipeline for these types of scenarios? And we, along the way, what we realized is that one, there are other companies in drones or in autonomous systems that are, have a headache or there are bottlenecks that they have that they acquire in interconnecting all these services, the packaging, the optimization, picking the right model. Um, what else, you know, the data collection, uh, retraining, creating the MLOps lifecycle, um, device selection, camera selection, and what to use on the edge. How do I, you know, grab an RTSP feed, feed it in, do some uh, inference right there on the edge, and then maybe package it or hold it on a device? And if not, let's stream it up to the, to the cloud. And then lo and behold, this, we've been noticed, we've, we've done the analysis that, there's a lot of other customers that are on the edge that want help breaking through these hills and these mountains of making sure that I can get to production much quicker. And that's what we're all about. Anything I missed uh, here? Yeah, no, I think you summarized very well. I think one thing that I want to add is that uh, while we are working with customers like Drone Express, right, but we also have customers uh, in Asia region doing the same or not only Asia region, AMI and Asia, both regions doing the similar, almost like uh, deploying at the edge uh, solutions for different types of data models. I think that's why our fast track team uh, uh, shines in is helping the customer going to the hoops of um, how to set up the edge, how to 
train the model and deploy the model and almost like an end-to-end process, how can you simplify that process for them? And this is what we are taking as a challenge of helping those type of customer scenarios, onboarding the, uh, their models into the edge and realizing the value of edge AI for that. And I think that's what I just wanted to add on top of what Andres uh, explained in, in our great scenario that we had. Go ahead, Kel. Go ahead, Kel. Oh, I saw Cynthia raise her hand first there. Go ahead, Cynthia. Oh, I thought you'd... Okay, I'll ask my question. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Andres and Mir, when you're working with customers, what are the parts of implementation that they want a lot of control or a lot of inputs into? And what are the parts that they heavily rely on uh, the Azure as a platform? That's a good question. Um... It varies. Uh, they want help with scalability. They definitely need help with scalability. And how do I massively deploy this to not just one drone or one device or one robot or one on you know one edge device? Is how do I deploy this? And then how do I quickly retrain a model when we start seeing drift? They need help in those scenarios. They also need advice in the areas of packaging it appropriately, whether an Onyx file, how do I bring in uh, OpenCV into the mix if I'm landing it in Intel devices? And um, they, I've seen that they've, they need help with the on-the-edge device. How do I, if I have any custom you know, pipelines within the edge device, how do I pass a stream or a message from one module to another? And that's where we're seeing a lot of the workloads, at least what I've gathered in the last year, year and a half. What I can add is uh, from the um, from the control perspective, um, the process was they want to control the process. For example, okay, how do I automate the end-to-end process through the MLOps? But then if, in terms of how can we secure my deployment, how can I take advantage of monitoring aspects from within the platform itself? For example, Azure ML, right? I have a model model, I, I deploy the model, the model will perform better or worse over time because of the changes of the data. That's the part they want to get more insights on from within the platform itself. Security-wise, how can I make sure uh, the, the, the models are highly secured, in, not only in terms of who has access to it, but also in terms of code-wise, uh, the platform can tell us, hey, your code has rogue uh, code inside on it. So model will probably not be deployed uh, even they try to deploy it if it has a rogue, a rogue code on it right that kind of uh, control they want from within the platform but the process wise how to deploy it who is involved those are the things that they want to control themselves just want to add yeah uh, along with that probably just like uh, tailing on to that like yeah, there's this whole part of like, how do I deploy this stuff? How do I scale fast and, and do all those kind of things you just mentioned? But then I can imagine on the back end, like back at the data layer, like kind of thing, that data probably piles up quite a bit. And, uh, you know, whether it be log data or actual telemetry data, all kinds of stuff coming in there. And I can imagine that's a nightmare after, you know, running this for six months or a year or something of saying, how do I manage this now? Because that's going to be expensive and I need to be able to like contain that. So is that... I assume that's a huge part of that too, not just the monitoring Absolutely. to make sure things, but like how do you scale the back end, you know, like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of data, uh, what also comes into play is 
analyzing data, preparing the, the data for the model to be trained on, right? That part is just along the line of how I manage the data, which part of the data that I can then take off, off of my six months worth of data, which I uh, retrain the model on so that I have the latest model that can reflect on uh, the, the accuracy of what we're trying to achieve through the model uh, implementation, right? That's de definitely uh, very, very true in, in the overall end-to-end -end journey. Let's, so let's take one. Oh, sorry, Russell, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you, yeah, Andreas, you mentioned earlier on retrain the models when we see drift, and, and you've talked about retraining the models quite a bit. Is that one of the, I mean, when I, when I think about drones that are using flight, you've got a, you've got the problem of the 3D, but it seems far simpler than drones that maybe have to drive around the streets, navigate various other obstacles and stuff like that. What, what, what's the, what's the drift issue that you're talking about? And what, what are the challenges that you see different in flying drones versus land-based drones? Uh, great question, Russell. So in terms of drift, what we see is the, the landscape could change. You know, they'll develop a model depending on season, uh, mountainous regions, flat regions, urban areas. So that is, you know, and grabbing the data and the images or the video in order to train the model, that's where that comes in. Will the landscape always be consistent? No, it will never be consistent. You're going to obviously find different, uh, a model will have to be trained or you'll have a different model for Florida versus what you're doing in Ohio or, you know, during the snowy season, or it could be raining. It could be raining and misting. Um, and then in terms of what we're seeing in the differences for drones, um, you have to fly. Obviously you have to, there's the flight capabilities of, of the drone. Now you have a moving part a moving machine that weighs quite a bit and you have to not only make sure that the drone is maneuverable, makes the right decision in real, as close to real time, so that if a child comes out of nowhere, if a dog comes out of nowhere, a car comes out of nowhere, the, the drone can react appropriately either to lift back off or come back down. Now, in my, my opinion, I think those are much simpler scenarios to handle than when you're on a street or, you know, when you're driving a car. Now you have, you know, children in, you have to be much more reactive and the, the car has to be, uh, have have a lot of safety protocols built into it. Um, but for drones, I find that the major things it has to do is for deliveries, as of right now, is choose an appropriate landing zone. Um, monitor if, you know, for a moment or two, hover for about, you know, 30 seconds a minute before it actually makes a decision. So you do have some time. And if there are no, if, if there is a moment in that space, in that range of time that something does happen, the, the, the drone is, is actually quite capable of, of lifting back off and coming back to the home. And if it loses connection, their companies are building into it, say, hey, I'm out of range. I can't talk to you. Um, I don't have any internet connection. And I don't have a precise enough response in my inference that tell me it's safe to land or deliver. If those cases happen, then the drone will obviously come back and and come back to home base and won't make the delivery. Um, for autonomous systems, cars, a little bit more complicated. Yeah, it sounds simple, but I, I can imagine also that the like power lines, <laughs> for instance, are like, 
you know, kind of critical, right? To make sure we avoid and, uh, you know, all those kind of pieces. And maybe that's easy, but it seems like that would be a complex problem to kind of figure out, especially if you have workers like doing stuff, that's kind of dynamic. So you're getting closer to what like happens on the road, you know, kind of thing. Well, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it, you start venturing into the area of, you know, you're doing initially some static inference, and then you want to work your way into doing dynamic inference as close to, you know, real time as possible. And with that, then you start leaning into what type of device can I put on a drone or an autonomous system that's hardy enough that can have a GPU capabilities to give me split second, you know, inference. And that's what we start leaning in on Intel devices, NVIDIA devices, and those types of of uh, Orin and Xavier's because they have the firepower behind the scenes to make that. Just wanted to add that that's the other piece uh, in terms of controlling the security of the device itself, as far as who can get access to. I mean, in terms of writing back to the uh, to the, the device itself when you're just uh, deploying it, who has access to. That's the other part they want to have control on maybe it because through the, um, through the maybe through the the process itself or maybe some other ways of you know who can get access who can write to uh versus you know just reading from it in terms of you know inferencing uh or in terms of any other purpose for that matter that also came into the picture when we've been working with this general project sure I'm going to ask two questions together because Evan had to drop, but uh, could you all tell us a little bit about what Azure ML is as a service? And then the follow-up question to that is, how do you see the line drawn between machine learning and AI? Because I feel like a lot of times we use these two terms interchangeably, but fundamentally they they may or may not be the same. Valid question. Uh, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> sure. I'll give you my interpretation. Um, my description of Azure ML and what we have is there is we have an environment that lets you juggle a number of balls in the air quite seamlessly. You're going to have to juggle creating, you need compute in order to make a prediction. Gives you that. You need to train a model with compute. It gives you the ability to create jobs, experiments. It gives you that. It also gives you the ability to bring in data. You need data, images, text, unstructured data, and being able to manage that pipeline of bringing in data or curating the data and having access to it. It gives you that. Um, it gives you the, the ability to create in specific environments. So when you're training a model, you need to, uh, you'll have dependencies, uh, PySpark, uh, TensorFlow, uh, NumPy, certain SDKs for your your the SDK version one for Azure ML or the SDK version two for Azure ML. And you might want to have to install, you're going to have to install those on a particular compute. And you can say, you know what, I want to install those dependencies. And then last but not least, the model. The model is your final bread and butter. It's what makes you your money. You get to wrap versioning around that model. You get to house it in a registry and you get to be have the ability to deploy it to endpoints. I need to put that model into action. Well, I want to be able to deploy it on a web API, a container, a Kubernetes cluster, an edge device. It also gives me that ability. Anything I missed there, Mir? 
Oh, you summarize it very, very well. I mean, uh, to me, I, I try to try to explain um, in one line. Okay, so Azure ML is a service, is a past service that is one-stop shop for your end-to-end -end lifecycle um, for um, doing the machine learning uh, activities, meaning so creating a machine learning solution to solve any specific problem that you have with your data. So that's how I try to explain it, and then of course you basically gave all the other details that we need to uh, we need to share uh, because that's what we have uh, as an offering. It, real quick on that, so like it, it's should customers and and people using this think about it like it's kind of um, an abstraction away from like the compute you mentioned, the data you used to mention. So there's a PaaS service helping us with the ML portion, but there's like raw stuff we need here, like compute and storage and stuff like that. And we can basically choose whatever we want. You mentioned Kubernetes. Um, I'm sure you use SQL Server and all kinds of other things inside of there. So is, should we think about it that way? It's like very abstract for those pieces. You can kind of plug in what you want there. You know. Absolutely. Uh, you said it very well. Basically, the way we have it is that you have your choice of what data you want to work on, what computer you want to work on. We've made, we facilitated that um, that um, uh, that features built into the platform so that you bring in just the, the model and then we provide you the way of working with different data of your choice or deploying to a Different target of your choice, be it AKS, be it, be it managed uh, managed platform where the, your inferencing endpoint is running, and just you can just send the data that way the way you want to. In fact, you, you can even just develop the model and then they, they take the code and deploy it the way you want to, just like the way you, you have it in 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 open source world, right? Or if you want to work with services like, and I'm going to leverage Spark cluster for my inferencing, you can do that. So we have given a choice. We created the platform in such a way that choice of accessing different types of data, working with different types of uh, compute, as well as curated, uh, leveraging curated environments for your model training, or create your own environment for that matter. So we made, it, made that very, very simple for, uh, in my view. Kind of follow Cynthia, up question. one more question. Oh yeah, I was going to ask about the difference or where the line ends or draws between machine learning and AI, but follow question to the Azure ML. If I have a lot of data and I want to do some machine learning, do I need to know what uh, model that I want to use to train my model or does Azure ML also help me choose that? Like, do I go with linear regression? Do I go with random forest? Or is that something that Azure ML will say, this is probably the best way to go with? Great question. Um, uh, ideally, ideally, from your data, you know the pattern, and knowing the the domain that you're playing with with your data, you also know what problem it can solve, and you also know that okay, so this is the algorithm that I select to so uh, uh, to basically create a model that will solve my problem. So as your machine learning as a service doesn't give you that direct answer, rather it facilitates you to go through some, like for example, you can just take advantage of AutoML or Designer, knowing that, okay, I have some data, let me see if I can use, um, you know, clustering or I can use the classification model, linear regression model through the AutoML process to get an idea what your, your model is telling you, what problem it can solve through the algorithm that they're selecting. But ideally, that's that's the exercise that you go through 
when you look into your data, see what pattern it is telling me. So the, you talked about uh, the machine learning versus AI. AI is the generic branch, right? Machine learning, on the other hand, is that you give a set of data, you know the patterns based on what data is telling us. If I have a credit card information for my customers, uh, or the transactions, if the credit card is uh, charged in uh, in Italy and uh, the, the person who owns the credit card is sitting in, in America right now, it, it, it's a pattern that you can find out, okay, so there's definitely something uh, this data is telling me. Azure ML, uh, machine learning, not Azure ML specific, machine learning will help you understanding that patterns that you can identify and figure out a solution for it through the machine learning algorithm that we select. Azure ML has a, a auto ML process that helps you going through that fast phase. Okay, so this is, this is the problem that I can solve from my data using this algorithm. Once you have that idea, you can take it to the next level. Russell. Yeah, thank you. That that's really that's really good. Uh, just just trying to understand. We we talked about OpenAI earlier on uh, in the in the session and in the intro. Is OpenAI something you're also looking to adopt as part of your projects, or is it Absolutely. something you're already using? Absolutely. And how is it how is it helping? What what are you doing with it? Uh, so first of all, of course, uh, right now some problems that we are seeing our customers trying to solve are along the line of chat gpt like um, i mean chatbot style of applications so, so i want to have a question answer type of application for my department where we have to automate certain process call center is another example we're looking at where we can take advantage the advantage of the open ai um, like uh, basically scenarios where we have a document we want to we want to get the insights from the document. Uh, we crack the document, we read the document into uh, and get the information on. We want to leverage the chat GPT to build something intelligent in our application that, that we can just sort through those data or the form that we have with that we cracked. So absolutely, we're looking at the uh, OpenAI uh, wholeheartedly because that's, that's very, um, um, very promising model or set of models that our customers are looking at. They have questions. Uh, we're trying to sort through their questions, trying to answer what scenarios they can leverage it and how we can help them going through the initial phases of, okay, I don't understand this, I don't understand this, how do I leverage this? What, uh, like, for example, tokens, how do I need to uh, think about tokens? For example, prompt engineering, uh, how do I go about uh, uh, having um, basically um, uh, great prompt engineering, getting the great results off of my data. So going through this initial phases of understanding the promises and they realizing the value through the implementation, we're working through them in, in, in the phases. Cool, okay, thanks. Oh, and just one more quickly on the, on the kind of the, the AI stuff that's available now, that, that, that vision piece that I spoke about right at the start where it's, the model's been improved so that you're getting higher quality with lower, amount of learning going in is that something that you'll also benefit from in the in the drone scenario for example and do you kind of automatically get those those incremental updates as they happen does that happen somehow or do you have to rebuild and restart from scratch with training a new kind of or de deploying new models and, and all the rest of it no russell i think we're we're you wouldn't have to i mean for drones you wouldn't necessarily at this point in time 
um, need to recreate too much of that pipeline. Um, when the data comes in, you know, the images will vary. So it's just a matter of creating a data set um, and retraining that a new model with a new data set at this moment in time for drone scenarios. Now, will that evolve to include 3D images, 3D cameras? Sure, that will evolve later on. But as right now, we're looking at more two-dimensional you know, images for, you know, hey, can we land on this particular driveway? And taking, taking pictures from 400 feet up and drawing an, a polygon around appropriate landing sites and delivery sites. Um, now, where that will vary in the future is that as a drone starts to come down, he'll probably the drone will want to do some inference in three in three D and see is there anything coming out of left field that they didn't expect and does it look unusual or not? And if it does look unusual, the GPU would say, "Hey, I don't feel right about this. Let's go back up in altitude." So we'll vary with with three D cameras. Yeah, one last question to kind of wrap up here is like, um, you know, for our listeners here, how do they get started with this? Right? Um, is there like a kind of a portal they can go to that like has a bunch of kind of links or spiders off? Because there's a lot of stuff here, right? There's a lot of data stuff, compute things. You talked about device stuff, a lot of pieces, right? And I'm sure people who are plugged into that space are in various pieces there. But like from an Azure perspective, is there like a portal or is there some place we could direct our users to to say? here's kind of how you get started or here's the menu uh, of all the things we have over here, you know? Is it specific? Great question, Hill. And, uh, go ahead, Mary. Go ahead. I'll, oh, um, so there, right, that's one of actually the uh, bottlenecks that customers are seeing is that, that there's no really one-stop shop where I can go and learn all this. You have to, you have to know uh, I, the IoT side of it. You have to know the ML Studio side of it and know how to apply that. We are building an ML Edge training pack that's coming out, you know, rather in the next two, three months, and where you will be able to leverage all our know-how and know where to get started. But yes, um, if you wanted to get started right now, you would have to, for the scalability, go and read up on IoT Hub and device provisioning services. You would have to read up on the machine learning side. How do I create a simple vision AI model? And then finally, start to get familiar with open, you know, Onyx and you know OpenVINO. Uh, then after that, you probably have to know, start to get familiar with IoT Edge. What are those capabilities? How do I move to RTSP feeds, cameras? So there is right now no real one-stop shop, but we're getting close. We're going to get there. Yeah, no worries. And, and if there's any helpful links you guys can share, like we can share with our listeners, like I know there's not just one, but if there's a, a few that are like super important or something, ha feel free to share them and we'll share them with our listeners, you know. Yeah, it'd be particularly good to be able to read some more about the drone scenarios as well. I, for one, would like to do some more reading on that and see uh, see when I'm going to expect a, a drone to drop out of the sky near me here in the UK at some point. You should Explain just ask chat. You should just ask ChatGPT. It'll tell you. I'll <laughs> <laughs> tell you. Only has information till twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one. I think it's twenty one, uh, isn't it? But I think Bing is a little bit more up to date correct. on the Bing yeah. chat. So I think that's pretty current. I asked it some stuff about the current tennis that's going on, and it seemed to know pretty much what's going on there, and the UK budget, which happened today as well, and it was up to speed with that. So all pretty good. Not that and, I spend uh, all day just asking ChatGPT stuff. You, you understand. 
Thanks very much, you two. It's been great having you on the on the show. Thank you very much for all the insight and information. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, reading your resources and links and hearing from you in the future. Thank you very very much, uh, Russell and Kale and Cynthia for having us and Ivan for sure. Thank you, Andres. Great to be no, here. Thank you to you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.